long for these uh, kinds of journeys. But this isn't about buildings or, or ministry. It's, a, it's about both and. As, as you know, before we started this building campaign, we were about two years ago concerned that our, our church was not doing more to impact our community. After all, that was Jesus' vision of the kingdom. Not a grand and glorious church so much as a transformed world. And so we started to think about how, how can we do ministry to the world around us in such a way that it so leaves Jesus' fingerprint wherever we go that that ministry itself is an introduction and a calling card to the Lord that we serve. We, we, we called it, or it was given to us, this name, Needs-Based Evangelism. And from that, from our thoughts together and so forth, several ministries have been born in our church that are now taking strength and momentum. First of all was the Aspen Creek Elementary Outreach. We became the official sponsor of this elementary school just built over here behind us. And even though it's a brand sparkling new, new school, it gathered kids from places in our community that are impoverished. I don't know if you realize it, but even in a broken arrow bedroom community like this, this suburban place where everything seems to be tranquil and pretty, our sister church just across town, St. Stephen's United Methodist Church, packs lunches for over 500 kids every weekend because otherwise they'd go hungry. Many of those kids attend Aspen Creek. Many of the families at Aspen Creek are, are single families and struggling. Man, I, I, I don't know how people do that. I, I, I'm amazed. It's tough enough having a tag team effort. But we also started a single mom support group. Terry's heart was led to that. And not only a single mom support group has been meeting and folks from Aspen Creek have been becoming a part of it, but that, that developed into another converging ministry that connected there. We did a parenting class, and most of the people in the class were not from our church. They were actually from that school. And then at that same time, though I didn't see how it could be integrated, we also felt led to start the Harvest Garden. Did you notice this morning that the acre just behind us here has been cleared, and we're getting ready to plant? It's exciting to see that moving forward. You know, we're not smart enough for this. <laughs> God's in this with us. I didn't know that St. Stephen's was feeding 500 kids a weekend. I don't know how to package vegetables so it's as edible as those other things. They open up and eat quick and they pack in those meals, but we're going to figure out a way how. I've already talked to the pastor of St. Stephen's. How can we provide fresh vegetables so that our fruit or whatever it is so that we can help you pack those meals? We can help uh, supply that. Our, our Aspen Creek folks have already talked to the teachers at Aspen Creek, and the teachers are excited about coming over here in our garden with their classes and working alongside us, learning again and again what it is that, that God does when you plant a seed. Generations working alongside one another. But, but we've got vision not just to uh, raise uh, a bunch of veggies, which, which are great in and of itself. Just raging the veggies. There's going to be great fellowship going out there cross-generationally. But once the veggies are produced, then the veggies can be distributed all over town. You're a church that's known by the food bank of Tulsa. 
Ever since we packed 40,000 pounds of potatoes and delivered them over there, I get regular calls about every three or four months. When are you all going to do that again? Well, now not just potatoes, but all sorts of vegetables. We can be providing those that that are hungry. There's places we can distribute it through town, but we don't want to just grow the veggies and distribute them. Though that's good in in and of itself, we want to be relating to the people that are being ministered to by those veggies. We want to be building relationships with souls, not just filling tummies. And so for us, it's important not just to give the food away, which we will do as well, but also that we can serve it. Can you see the garage doors on that new facility coming up with uh, trays of veggies set out in front of the people of our community that they can come and take their own bushel full home? Market days at Abiding Harvest. I don't know how often they'll happen or how much we can stock them. I I, I don't even know how it's going to work. (laughs) I'm thankful I'm just the pastor. You guys figure that stuff out. A long time ago, this church, this startup church, quit being an entrepreneurial effort by a pastoral leader. For years now, it has been more important what we do than what he does. This is a we thing. And God is raising us up as as an army of servants to do his will in our community, not just to build a church, a healthy church, a, a, a vital church with disciples growing up within it, but, but a church deployed to make a difference in the world around us. I'm so pleased with the way God's starting to orchestrate that and, and, and to bring that together. I'm grateful for the times that we've gone over to the school and helped the kids out there, that we've sat in classes when kids were coming in for their very first day, many of them scared and in tears and too much for the teachers to handle, and we held those kids on our laps until they became uh, uh, more at home. The teachers thank us for that. We've, we've tutored, uh, you know, we've, we've sat through tests, we've been monitors, we've, we've fed the teachers for their back-to-school breakfast Uh, we've walked around that school and prayer walks, praying for that place, the teachers and the administrators joining us. But what are the opportunities for ministry if we have a facility, if we have a garden where we can bring them here? (laughs) Where we cannot just serve with forays and ventures and moments at a time, but we can build relationships with those kids, with their parents, with those families where we can begin to make more of a difference, not just within our church, but within our city. I'm excited about all those possibilities. It's really not a question of, are we doing something for the community, or are we doing something selfishly for us and building a building? Let, let, let me tell you something. Though, though, though we, have, we have envisioned this uh, with as much enthusiasm as we can, I don't want you to hear what we're not saying. This is not Disneyland for youth. There are no bowling alleys in this building. There are no disco balls or simulation machines. This is a a functional tool for ministry. It is a Swiss army knife for lay ministries. All kinds of space within it. Versatile space that we can use however we want. This is our first phase of construction right here. This is the essentials for gathering together as a church. That's what this was meant to do. But, but unless the ministry that we're trying to create and trying to facilitate is coming and sitting, 
this facility is limited. Uh, Unless it has to do with sitting and and, and with fellowship and with a place to disciple kids, those, those were the things that we thought were essential. No church can build everything it wishes it had as a tool for ministry when it first starts out. But of the things that we could build next, and all the churches that we visited around us that have facilities far more advanced and multi-purpose than our own, that have campuses far more developed in their master plan, every church to a church told us that the type of facility that we're building in their facility is the most used of all that they have to offer. It is the most available to the community of all that they have to offer. Uh, it's true. You know, my boys are playing basketball right now. And and we've already schemed, you know, how early they could get here, how late they could stay in that gym shooting a basketball, you know. Guilty. I'm there. But this isn't about that. This is about their team that has to travel all the way to Verdigris to find a gym. Because everything in South Tulsa and Broken Arrow is claimed. This is about all those other teams and all those other tournaments that might happen in a building like this that might let our community know that this church is here to serve them. Uh, It's not just community or church. It's community and being the church. And and if if you think that we are uh, one of those that embrace a motto of build it and they will come, you know, that... Our architect put that on a slide one time, and, and, and you know, I, I try to play well in the sandbox. Uh, I, I try to be cooperative and get along. Everything doesn't have to be my idea. But when I saw that up there on that slide, I cringed with everything in it. Build it, and they will come. What a bunch of malarkey. No. You're a carpenter. You go buy a great tool. Is the house going to build itself? Absolutely not. This, this is a tool in our hand to be used in ministry. And to the degree that we use it in ministry, we are joining God and his kingdom work. But to the degree it sits there and only for our purposes and only for our leisure. I got better things to do with my money. Honestly. No. No, this must be a tool that we use years down the road in ministry. A Swiss army knife for purposes that God hasn't even unfolded to our understanding yet. We, 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 we spent $10,000 when we first built this place because we didn't want to waste the backyard. Built a, built a little uh, platform out there. Y'all have seen that? We call it the amphitheater. <laughs> the amphitheater. It's a chunk of cement on the back of the church, right? But... but uh, but it's, it's helped us. We've had Easter celebrations out there, but we've also had community rallies of our community defeating a casino that's still a shell of a structure just across the street because God gave David another victory over Goliath. You know, our, our cafe, we use it every Sunday, but kids in our community and kids in our own church have used it for their birthday parties. I want us to be as open to the community and as blessing of the community with everything that we ever have. And that will continue to be the case. Did we, when we built that little thing back there, have any idea that 
Five years later, we would be caught up in a battle with a casino that no one thought that the Lord would win. And eventually, we would host a party for the whole community in victory of what God had done. Senators and all. We can't imagine what God will do. But we can't imagine what we can put in his hands to be a tool tool used to get it done. It is not community or church. It's community and church. It's not ministry or money. It's ministry and money. It always takes both. I wish it didn't, but it always takes both. It's not younger or older. It's younger and older. So many more opportunities in this facility, not just for youth to do what youth do, but for us to integrate with our whole pulsing community Youth alongside older folks, older folks alongside youth. If we're going to be continuing to lift up an army of a church employed in ministries that make a difference, not just within our church, but within our city, we're going to need more and more folks joining that army. And I I don't know about you, but as I grow older, I appreciate the folks that are younger joining the team, don't you? That, 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 that's so much of what it's about. Not older versus younger, older with younger, a whole church family deployed in ministry together. As I grow older, I hope there's others coming along behind us that are going to build this church even stronger, be even more faithful, blow out the doors for what we just thought was possible. I hope that continues to be the case in this place. But as you know, because we have a facility that's primarily built for sitting in cushy chairs. This, this is model for those of us for whom that is a special delight. <laughs> I probably won't like the chairs in the, in the new building. They'll probably be way too functional and way too hard. But, but if they give us more versatility to, to really do ministry with one another and and. To grow the army that's in service here, I say, man, bring it on. This place has essential functions covered. But there's so much that we can be doing and and doing together. Someday I envision an alternative service happening over there. At the same time this was happening, most church services happen better when somebody's not a stepchild to someone else's prime time opportunity. And so if we, if we could have a worship service in here and have a worship service in there, I want you to notice that right now there's plenty of distance between this building and that building so they can be as loud as they want, right? Youth band, cranking it over there. Tw- 20 and 40-somethings blowing their own ears out, you know? And I'll hope to preach messages that are relevant enough that when it comes time for the message, we can be listening to it in there, and it can be piped over there on a big screen, which they'd rather see anyway. You know, they want the close-ups where you can see all the snot and the tears and all that kind of stuff of the pastor. I don't know what that's about. But anyway, I'll probably stay in here where the music is a little more soothing to my soul. But, 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 but we'll have an opportunity for the next generation to do worship at their heart's Full throttle. That's the only way I'd want it. I think that's exactly what God wants. Turn my kids loose. This is not a Disneyland thing. This is a functional tool for ministry. Now, having said all that, uh, how? 
How do you do something that just by the price tag looks completely beyond your ability? If that's more of what we need, how, how, how do we do that? How is that possible? And for that, I turn to our scriptures, the answer to that question. If you'll follow with me in John chapter 2, as I read it, it'll be familiar to you. But I want you to note where this miracle starts. It starts where all miracles start. It starts by inviting Jesus into it. Check this out. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited. And his disciples uh, to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they had no wine. And Jesus said to her, oh, mom. And Jesus said to her, woman. What do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, you do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there uh, for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. They want you to be particularly uh, aware of the size of these things. Keg size, for some of you, would describe it perfectly. Uh, about 30 gallons. These are not little pitchers. They're big hunking water jars. Okay? 30 gallons each. And then on this morning where we're talking about giving more than enough, this fits the scenario. Six water jars, 30 gallons each, do your math, 180 gallons that the Lord is going to turn in from water into the finest of wines. Now, you could have a wedding for a week, you could have a wedding for a month, and you might not run out of wine. This is more, more than enough that our Lord is going to supply. Just note the size of these things. Containing 20 or 30 gallons each, Jesus said to them, Fill the waters, the water pots with water. Simple instruction. Interesting response. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now, draw some water and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. And, and when the head waiter uh, tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it had come from, But the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when men have drunk freely and had their fill, then that which is poorer, their senses are dulled. It goes longer. You dilute it and it lasts a little. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum. What an incredible story. First of all, I I, I want you to know quite clearly that Jesus 
has been invited. Whenever you're in a place where you're dreaming of God's next and it's too big for you, great place to start. (laughs) Invite Jesus right into the midst of it. This was the first of his signs. You know what that means? That means this is not just a story about what Jesus did then. This is a story about what Jesus does now. It's a sign about eternal truths. Jesus is revealing something here that he wants his disciples to believe in, to grasp, to hang on to. And I love the fact that it doesn't happen on a platform somewhere, only in a spotlight. It happens right where people are living. It happens in this family's home. It happens not at a point where everything's spiritual and everything's gargantuan and everything's rallied to get. It happens in a home in a moment of embarrassment for a bride and a groom who was hosting a party that would have lasted a week and their hospitality to the community is of highest pride and order to them. And now their family has run out of wine. What will they tell their guests? What will their guests think of them? Highly spiritual moment. No, it's, it's, it's an everyday kind of thing. And Jesus mixes this the whole way through this story, you know. God of eternal purposes getting involved with us right where we're grinding it out, you know. Woman, what, I have, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. It's as if Jesus is saying, don't you know why I'm here? I know why I'm here. I'm here to save the world. And you want me to make some wine? Ever feel that way? That God is someplace off doing eternally important things and maybe your life and your world and your struggles are going unnoticed? It's not either or. It's both and. And It has to be real. This is the way this story is told, you know. Because Mary is such a Jewish mother in this story, isn't she? You know? Uh, they want, they've run out of wine. They have no wine, is what she says. They have no wine. Simple statement of fact. <laughs> now, if you've ever lived in a home, ever had a mom, you know that is not what is going on, right? This is not a statement of fact. They have no wine. Guys, this would be like your mom saying to you, your room's a mess. If you were to say, you know, you're right. Your holy mother would pimp slap you across the room. You know what I'm talking about? This is not a a statement of fact. This is a, a, uh, a clarion call to action is what this is, right? They've run out of wine. But, but I love what's happened here. This isn't Mary's party. She's not the one that's going to be embarrassed. Mary has already done what Jesus' servants are always to do, and that's to put themselves in the shoes of someone else who's hurting and say, not their problem, ours. To look into our community and say, those kids going home hungry every day from their schools, not their problem, ours. See? And then the momentum begins. Then she turns to Jesus, see, and she says, they have no wine. What's Mary saying? If I'm in this, you're automatically in this with me. That's what she's saying. 
She's saying, I know that your heart that you have for me out of your respect, even for me as your mother. And I know not only Joseph's heart, I know your heavenly father's heart. He's not just caring about the huge things in life. He's caring about the the particulars. I know that your father and our father teaches us to pray, not only thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but give us this day our daily bread. Do you see the expanse in that? From eternal things to what's for lunch. This is the heart of our God. And he sees it all. And whenever his kids hurt, he aches for them. And and Mary has developed enough of the heart of the Heavenly Father to turn to Jesus and not say, uh, not just with her own concerns, but the, with the concerns of those around her. Uh, and she obviously has no wine, or she would have offered it probably. They have no wine. And then Mary does an interesting thing. Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour, his purpose in this world, to come and to give his life a ransom for many. He talks about his hour all through John. And it has to do with the cross and with what he's doing for all humanity. Something on the most eternal and grand scale. My hour has not come yet. And Mary does such a wise thing, both spiritually and such a characteristic thing as a Jewish mom. She just locks Jesus right up there in the room with the trouble. You know, that's what she she, she she doesn't argue with Jesus. She submits to him and in his authority. She's treating him not only as if he is her son, but if he is her Lord. And she turns to the servants and he, she says, whatever he says to you, do it. And she walks out of the room. <laughs> so far as we know, yeah, that's a leave it in the hands of Jesus. Whenever you get to a place where the gap is bigger than then what you can do, turn to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. That's exactly what, what Mary does here. But, but there are servants there. And she's told them, whatever he tells, to you, tells you to do, you do it. Now, how, how do you picture these servants at this moment? I'm like, oh, okay, one more thing to do at the party. <laughs> Is that their response? I don't think so. See, but because I think there's things in this passage that give away the fact that this is not their first rodeo with Jesus. I I think they have an inkling of what Jesus is about, and what Jesus can pull off. Because they're going to express faith almost immediately when they learn what it is that he wants them to do. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But, But how do you think they listened at that moment? Whatever he tells you to do, there's an, whatever he, the winemaker is in our midst. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. I bet those servants were on the, it went total quiet. It was, what's he going to say? You know, I I bet they're listening as if they're about to be partners in a miracle. How careful do you listen when that's the case? If it's just something that you can do, uh, who cares? Serve the next glass of water. But if it's something that you're partnering with, the transforming God of the universe, man, pay attention. He says, fill the jars with water. Very, very simple instruction. Fill the jars w- w- with water. But what do they do? 
They fill it to the brim. Now, was that in the instruction? Fill the jar. Hey, Dad, could you fill something for me to drink over lunch? Sure, son. And I'd call it full. And I'd put it on the table, right? No, that's not water turning to wine, just in case I had some stuff in the bottom just so you could see it when I filled it up. I saw a few of you go, oh. <laughs> you know, uh, no, 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 none of that going up. But, but you know, it, I'd call it full, you know, and, and put it down. But, but that's not what they do. They, they fill it. To the, they fill it to the brim. I wonder why. I wonder if it's because they had the faith to believe that once they put it in Jesus' hands, it wasn't going to just be water anymore. And if you're going to put something in God's hands to have a partnership in transforming and making, wouldn't you take special attention to make sure he had all he could to work with? I mean, th- this is like those guys from Home Makeover showing up. And, and who's the crazy guy? Ty. And Ty showing up. And, and Ty saying, okay, we're ready to transform your house. And you go, oh, no, just the back porch. <laughs> no, 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 no. The transformer's in the house. Give him the keys. Right? Give him all that he can work with to transform and to make something not just water in our hands, but now something that's born out of a partnership with him. The wine of real kingdom life is about to explode as we offer him the ordinary stuff that we have to offer, the funds that we can. And it's always interesting to me that Jesus never asks of us more than what we can do. He's just wanting us to do what we can do along with him. And God always takes care of the impossible. For with men, uh, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Tell them to fill the water jars. And what do they do? They, out of their own creativity, their own heart posture, their own personal expression, fill it to the brim. That was not part of the instructions. That was part of their intent. Eager to anticipate all that God would do, tuned in for clarity, what's he going to say, sensitive to the promptings, how is he moving me, ready to respond, excited to collaborate, to be creative, not just asking what can we spare, but what do we dare? It's evident. Because they not only did what he told them to do, They were obedient, but they were more than just obedient. They were partners with God in this miracle because no one knew 
where the wine came from. But the servants, they did. They had been partners with God in something that they and the Lord of the universe had just done together. They had done much more than just extend a party. They had been a part of expressing God's heart to this couple. At a moment where, where their need probably was screaming at them, overwhelming them. What do we do now? But isn't that the heart of God? And isn't that the heart of God's people? Whenever we see people struggling, however they struggle, it may not be something particularly spiritual. But if we respond with that same kind of loving kindness and honoring someone else and meeting their need right where they are, honoring their dignity, but coming alongside as a partner to help. Don't we express the heart of God in that moment too? You don't think God delights in that? God doesn't glory in that? You don't think in that moment of us doing the simple things that we can, that God doesn't somehow turn that water into wine? You think he doesn't value that gift? He says, even he who gives a cup of cool water in my name, heaven will not forget his reward. The whole scope from salvation to what's for lunch matters to our God because he sees everyone that we will ever lock eyes with as one of his kids. So what shall we do? We too are his servants. And Christ too is present and a part of this party. I hope you've been listening. I hope we're listening this morning. Whatever he tells you, that and only that will do. Whatever he tells you, do it. Listen this morning like a partner in a miracle. Before us is a water pot. If you have your pledge ready, I'd invite you to bring it forward. And let's metaphorically fill this to the brim. Let's make that our expression this morning. You may have brought your card with you. You may need a card. They're in the pockets of the seats in front of you. I'm going to ask Gary if he would come and sing this song one more time. Treasure. Because we don't do this. Game change. Game change? You got a game change. I'm cool with game change. God's in control. As you come this morning, place your pledges in the water pot this next Sunday in Thanksgiving style. We'll give thanks for whatever it is God has done in our midst. You come as we listen to this song minister to our hearts. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, you, you, uh, he had asked me to sing Treasure again. I assume you remember hearing that one. And then he did this. So I have to do this.
Where'd you start your journey? Where'd you get that load? What made you think you were the only traveler on this road? There's billions of us out here. You were never by yourself. All you had to do was bend your knee and ask for a little help and put it in his hands. There ain't nothing you ought to hold on to. Put it in his hands. He can take care of that for you. Try to understand. When you think that there is nothing you can do, you can put it in his hands. Put it in his hands. I've been up that mountain, down the other side. And it probably wouldn't hurt me much to climb it one more time. You might need some company. I might need some too. And if I stumble, remind me the truth I just told you to put it in his hands. There ain't nothing you ought to hold on to. Put it in his hands. He can take care of that for you. Try to understand. When you think that there is nothing you can do, you can put it in his hands. Little boy with a toy broke it like little boys do. Daddy can't fix it till the little boy is willing to put it in his hands. There ain't nothing you ought to hold on to. Put it in his hands. He can take care of that for you. Try to understand. When you think that there is nothing you can do. You can put it in his hands. You just put it in his hands. Go on and put it in his hands. Lord Jesus, you've just spoken to us. We pray that we have ears to listen. Hearts that leap eager to respond. Hands and feet to be employed with you and a heart to walk it out alongside you. Thank you for you this morning. Because you gave us more than a pledge. You gave us your very person. You gave us Jesus.
And for that great gift, Father, nothing we could give back would ever compare. We just give with thankfulness this morning, with joy in our hearts, knowing to whom it is that we give and to whose hands we entrust these gifts and these ventures in our very lives. Thank you, Lord, for being the God you are. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand this morning and hear the benediction? May the God who delights every time you take a leap towards his arms, may he go with you. May his son strengthen you. May his spirit embrace you, empower you to live this life with no one less than the God of the universe. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, have a blessed day and a blessed week. God bless you as you go. Amen.